Thanks for downloading and welcome to Take Orally, the podcast from Dream, Queen's Medical Centre, Nottingham. This episode is a live recording of the unblinding research session on sampling. As ever, any and all information is correct at the time of recording. Any guidelines mentioned are correct for Nottingham University Hospitals NHS Trust. Other trust guidelines may vary. All views and opinions are the speaker's own. Right, hello guys. Hello. Hello. Everybody got some gummy bears. Mm-hmm. Remember to keep passing them along. Yes. Uh, welcome to this session on sampling. And um, we're going to have a look really at sample size and what determines a sample size. Okay. Uh, and we'll have a little bit of a chat about significance and power as well. And what the numbers mean and why maybe they aren't always as correct as they should be. Megan, looking forward to that bit. Cool. Um, Um, So, not very many objectives again for this session, so be able to perform sample size and power calculations. Um, I'm not going to ask you to do that, but I'm going to ask you to to be aware of them and have some ideas about where you can go to do it. Uh, Explain the difference between incidence and prevalence and describe generalizability. Does that sound okay? Awesome. It's a nice, friendly environment as ever with our two storm stormtroopers. You get very uh, used to this slide. Uh, so yeah, any questions, if you want to make a point, please put up your hand. Cool. Okay. Um, so, why do we sample? Good. Okay. Why do we need to make sure we have the right sample size? So it's not a fluke. So what's the trouble if our sample size is too small? You're all talking, yeah. <laughs> what was that, Mark? Might happen by chance, what you say, Celia? Might be able to generalise it. Brilliant, yeah. Um, yeah, brilliant, absolutely. And if you think about these gummy bears here, those gummy bears that you've been eating, and you think about the human species, why do you think I've chosen gummy bears as a metaphor for human beings? What do they show that human beings also show? Variation. <laughs> well done, Louise. <laughs> variation. <laughs> yes, variation. <laughs> I believe that in other words, the not going to make sense. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so variation, yeah. So in what ways, so (laughs) ethnicity being one of them, in what ways other than ethnicity do human beings vary? Sex, age. Gender, age. Sugar content. Sorry? Sugar content, yes. Are some of them, do some of them have DKA or not? Yeah, absolutely, sugar content, yeah. Size, brilliant, yeah. They're geographic. Area. Yeah, where do they live? What so? What country they're they're in? Um, demographics, brilliant. Comorbidities. Comorbidities, brilliant. Yeah, and then within comorbidities, there's things that you were born with, and then things that have, you've done to yourself, and maybe things that you happened to you that weren't your, you know, that completely out of your uh, hands. Yeah. Anything else? How else do human beings vary? <laughs> Thinking about health economics. 
things that aren't really biological but are cultural. Lifestyle, brilliant, yeah. Poverty, brilliant, yeah, absolutely. So the north-south divide, the divides that we have within cities, so you've got, you know, areas of, uh, that are more and less deprived within a city. Okay, brilliant, yep. Uh, and poverty and money, access to healthcare, etc., etc. Lots of variation, so we've got to make sure that our sample is going to be um, representative of our population. What could be the trouble if our sample size is too big? It's not generalizable because it could be like everything is a contributing factor. Yeah, so you might have too many confounding variables if your size is too big. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah. Anything else? Processing could all be a nightmare. Processing would be a nightmare. Imagine if you sent out a million questionnaires and you want a million questionnaires back. Sheer time alone, resources. You guys, you, you're not doing this for free. You're, you all paid money as well. So somebody coming in to do that, that's time, it's money, good. Very high attrition rate, yeah. So you might get uh, lost to follow up if you run the risk. Brilliant, yeah. And what else from the patient's pers perspective? Say I wanted to do a study where I'm going to do full body CTs on a million people. Time. Time. Money. Money. And? Risk of cancer. Risk of, yeah, is there a risk of harm? So sometimes if you're doing something that might be harmful, might not be nice, you know, say you're, it's an invasive procedure you want to do, if you're doing that to too many people, it's not nice, is it, unnecessarily? So the risk of your, your sample size being too big and too small. So let's have a chat now about incidence and prevalence. What is the difference between an, the incidence of a disease and the prevalence of a disease? Because this is one of those examples of where the media can, and politicians can manipulate data quite easily by choosing which number you want to choose. So it's incidence saying like one in a hundred people will develop diabetes, but yeah. prevalence saying in Nottingham this certain area is more at risk. There's more diabetics in that area. Yes, good. So say you've got a condition, we'll call it red gummy bear fever, okay? And this is a condition that turns these clear gummy bears red. Incidence is the number of new cases that you get in a certain time. It's usually a year because we're human beings, we live in years, okay? So say that for a thousand clear gummy bears, 30 each year turn red. We would say that there is an incidence of 30 per 1,000 clear gummy bears. It's usually expressed as, as a number of the population, hundreds, 1,000, maybe even more. Okay? Prevalence is the total number at any one point in the whole population that has that disease. That, could, that includes people who've had it within the last year, but also people who had it going into the year as well. Okay, so you could have a population of a thousand clear gummy bears, 300 of them have got red gummy bear fever, 300 of them are red, 300 over a thousand, you've got 30% prevalence. Statistics can be manipulated. Ah, oh, this disease has a 30% prevalence or whatever it is. 
versus, ah, oh, but it's only 30 per 1,000 every year. So this is how statistics can get manipulated. Does that make sense? Cool. What does generalizability mean? If we stay, say our study is generalizable. Yeah, brilliant, yeah. So generalizability is external validity. Okay, so all very well and good me going to London to present a study on Nottingham, but does my findings from Nottingham mean that somebody who's from London can take it to their population? Okay. There's also internal validity. Do you know what that is? The internal validity of a study. Is that how it was performed? Kind of. Everyone in the study did it in the same way. So kind of, yeah. The same. So essentially, it's about saying how much does your study actually represent what you were studying? Okay. So there can be a difference between the two, though, <coughs> that can be quite difficult. Okay. So if we do a study here on traumatic injuries, we could do a really good high internal validity study. But we are a major trauma centre that has a 24-7 consultant-led A&E. Does that mean that we're necessarily as generalisable? So actually what you find, the more high internal validity a study is, the less generalisable it is. And vice versa. Okay. The best internal validity comes with randomised controls. The best external validity come with very broad inclusion criteria. So those studies that have lots of exclusions tend to be the, the least generalizable. Does that make sense? Good, 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 good. Marvelous. Right then. So say you're wanting to work out our sample size, just thinking broad concepts. What sort of things are we going to want to take in account, into account? What do you think if we're, when we're calculating a sample size? The number of that population that exists in total. Brilliant, yeah, our total population, very much so. You could argue if your population was only 100 people, is it even worth sampling? Is, is that could be quite relevant, but yeah. What else? We talked about it earlier. Study, type of study what type of study we're doing? Brilliant, yeah. Statistical significance. Significance is one, yeah. What significance do you want, yeah. And what goes with significance as well? So significance and power are very, very big considerations when we're working out our sample size. And we have to determine what significance we want and what power we want right at the very beginning of our project. This isn't something you do later on, it's right at the very beginning. Okay. Significance is to do with type one error. Power is to do with type two error. So you may have heard of these. No, okay, don't worry. So, Megan, you nodded, what is type one error? Oh no, I, I just... I You've heard of them, that's fine. <laughs> Simon? I don't remember. <laughs> don't remember, that's fine. This is why we have these I'm sessions. I'm the only one that's honest, clearly. <laughs> Celia? Yeah. Heard of it, but... I've heard of it. That's fine. That's why we have these sessions. Okay. 
Significance is to do with type 1 error. Type 1 error is to do with your false positives. Okay. So type 1 error, say you've developed a treatment for a disease, and type 1 error would be you falsely saying, or falsely finding, that your drug treats that disease when it doesn't, i.e. it's a false positive. So what do you think type 2 error is? Brilliant, yeah, absolutely. So power is to do with type 2, and type 2 is about false negatives. So that would you be wrongly finding that your drug doesn't treat the disease when in fact it does. Does that make sense? Good. And whatever we do, there's always going to be false positives, false negatives. No trial is perfect, so we accept that there will be a proportion of false positives and false negatives, whatever we do. But it's how much of those that we accept. And we express those, you may have seen things like this. Does this ring a bell? Yes, we've got good nods, this is good. Okay. So, type 1 error is also sometimes labelled as alpha, the Greek letter alpha, so you may sometimes see people writing it as alpha rather than type 1 error, but it means the same thing. Okay. So, significance, the gold standard is, is, um, is expressed as a p-value. The gold standard, some want lower, but some, uh, the gold standard is p is less than 0.05. Do you know what that means? Yeah, it's five in a thousand, isn't it? Yeah. How about that? That result's happened less than five times in a thousand. Yeah, absolutely. So it's five in a hundred, isn't it? Five in a hundred, it's five in a hundred. So it's five in tens, hundreds, thousands, so it's five in a hundred. Yeah, five in a hundred, isn't it? Yeah. It's five percent. Yeah, five percent. Basically, it's a five in a hundred, or five percent, chance that whatever this trial finds is due to chance and chance alone. That's basically what it's saying. Okay. So we set that right at the very beginning. We make sure we have a sample size that will give us this p-value, and that means that whatever we find in that trial, there's a less than 5% chance it is due to chance and chance alone. Some trials want an even lower p-value and want 0.01, but these are those big ones with lots of money, lots riding on it. You know, we want to be the next wonder drug, etc. Power, like we talked about, is due type 2 error, due to false negatives. That's expressed as a decimal. And 0 0.8 is the gold standard. What's that mean? A 0 0.8 power mean. Basically, yeah. yeah. Basically, what that means is 80% of any negatives we find are correct negatives. So, four out of five things that we find negative will be correct negatives. One in five will be a false negative. Okay, it allows a 20% false negative rate. So, these are the gold standards. Does that all make sense? Some have a power, some want a power of 0 0.9 and we'll go for it that way, i.e. there's only 10% false negatives. Again, these are your really big studies, lots of money riding on it, we've got shareholders, etc., etc. You know. You can guarantee any future treatment for dementia 
will have a p-value of less than 0.01, power of 0.9, because there'll be so much riding on it, they'll want it to be you know, proven that this new wonder drug works, because you can imagine they'll take over the world if you can treat that. Does that all make sense, guys? Please say if it doesn't. Good, 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 good. Power of gummy bears. Excellent. Um, can I just ask, I don't know if you're going to go on to it in a minute. Yes. Because one of the questions I've always been asked is, what sample size are you looking at in, in relation to these values? So, so I'm going to show you a demonstration of how we put it together. Okay. okay. So this will be right at the beginning of the methodology. We wanted this p-value, we wanted this power, therefore we have made this sample size. Cool. Excellent. So then, just another three things then to think about our estimated effect size, our event rate, and our standard deviation. Okay. So our estimated effect size, this basically comes from our literature review. Okay. So what effect do we think our drug will have? How much will it reduce mortality? How much will it reduce mean systolic blood pressure? So you have to look back at future, look back at, uh, at past um, literature, look back at your preliminary tests. Okay. The smaller your estimated effect size, the bigger your sample needs to be. Event rate, that's basically our prevalence. So how much of this condition is there in the, in the population we've got? And then standard deviation, everyone's favorite part of maths, remember that? Um, that's basically looking at how varied our population is. Okay. Have you got a very broad range of blood pressures in your population or are they actually quite narrow and, and quite s similar to each other? Okay. The smaller your standard deviation, i.e. the more homogenous your population, the smaller your sample can be. If you've got big variation, you need to have a bigger sample. Does that make sense? I still quite don't get the estimated side effect. The, the, the estimated effect size. In what way? In the whole concept of it. <laughs> it's a distance. I don't know it's a distance. <laughs> anyway, so, right. Sorry. Why do you need a bigger sample if you want a smaller estimated effect size? So basically what you're doing is you're looking back at the literature. Mm -hmm. You're finding out that, say, this drug was used in China yeah. and it reduced mean systolic blood pressure by 10% there. Okay. So that's our estimated effect size. Mm -hmm. okay. So 10% of reducing mm. mortality. But if you've got such a small effect, there's a high chance that you could miss it very easily due to error. Gotcha. So you're going to want a okay. bigger sample yeah. in order to catch it. Fair enough. Does that make sense? Yeah. Basically, we are never completely going to eliminate type 1, type 2 error. We can't. No trial is perfect, and anybody can tear a paper apart. Well, maybe not apart, but you can have a go at it. Okay. Cool. So hopefully, my slide... Yes! Okay. So I did some Googling. Uh, and basically looking at different online sample size calculators. This is a very simple one, but I think it sort of shows the, the principles there. Okay, now you can go off and purchase really big complicated software as well, speak to the, the guys in the statistics department. 
So this one here is from ClinCalc, uh, which is uh, good. Basically, it's looking at are you comparing two independent groups or have you got a study group versus the population? Okay. So let's say, for example, we are looking to decrease mortality from a certain condition by 10%. Shall we say that? Okay. So we've got our study group versus the population there. Okay. We're looking to decrease mortality, so that's a dichotomous. Are they alive? Are they dead? So we can keep it there. Okay. If we say that 50% of the population die from this condition. What condition are we treating? Triple A. Shall we say triple A? Okay. There we go. That kills 50% of people, doesn't it? Well, before they even arrive at hospital. Shall we say that one? Um, Pre-hospital pre Reboa. There we go. It's pre-hospital Reboa. There we go. We can make a, you can make a, a thing for anything. Okay, so we've got our percentage decrease of 10% that we're looking for. We've got our alpha, i.e. type 1 uh, error. So we've got our p-value there. We've got our power there. And now we can calculate it. And hopefully that will work it out for us. So this means for our... Uh, for all of the thing we've put in, we would need to recruit 783 people to have a meaningful result that we could publish. Do you want to see the calculation that goes into that? Just, just from nothing. Just from nothing. Well, so your, so your study's going to take forever. Here. Well, there, there again, they'll be like you. Then now you need to be a multi-centre trial. Then don't you? You know, therefore, straight away, I need to recruit other people. That is the amount of math that goes into it. That makes my head hurt. So we're not going to go into that. But this is why. This is why get the software. Okay, and I think that. Is that free? This is free. This is free. There's lots of different places. So University of Hong Kong has, has got loads you can just use quite freely. Uh, yeah, lots of different places I've, I found. But this is the one that looks the nicest up on a projector. And it's not in Chinese, either. And it's not in Chinese or Mandarin or Cantonese, is it, in Hong Kong? So does that make sense as a kind of a way around going around it? Excellent. What about, this is purely, just forget that. No, say what was it? If you were doing things like combined methods, if you're doing qualitative and quantitative, yeah. does that affect, would it affect your, or is that still the gold standard for your numbers? That's still the gold standard for your numbers. Okay. Uh, but then again, that then comes into the question will be, well, this is what we were hoping to find, yeah. and this is how many people we wanted to find it, but then, then people will say, well, do your methods actually go with what you wanted yeah. it to do? So that's so where that's where it always goes into. It. At the end of the day, you're always asking yourself, did these, yeah, did these people find what they were looking for? To sort of quote Bono, excellent. So obviously, I'll put this out um, on the podcast, and there's a blog that goes through all of this as well, so you can have a read of that at your leisure. Uh, next month, which will be uh, between ten and eleven, are we saying now? Yeah. We're going to do that on the Wednesday between ten and eleven. <laughs> We're going to be looking at outcome measures, topic, confidence uh, intervals. In here. Sorry? I will say a limb in here. So you guys who've already heard me talk about p-values yeah. are going to be bossing it. You'll be like, oh, Jamie, this is about significance, isn't it? Less than 0 0.0. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So we're going to have a look at outcome measures, confidence intervals, and p-values. Oh, okay. Was 
anything about today's session you want me to go through again? Did it make sense? No, that, that's really clarified a lot of things. Cool, cool. Good. Gummy bears. So, as you know, I like to stick a pun at the end of these things. What do you think the pun is? Bears. No, oh, well, that's a good one. I like that one. <laughs> I wish I thought of that one. Thank you very much, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That was the Take Orally Unblinding Research episode on sampling. You can find the uh, blog entry and uh, take visually for this episode at uh, takeorally.com. Don't forget to subscribe to Take Orally on both SoundCloud and iTunes. For more information about research and education opportunities with emergency medicine, acute medicine and major trauma, you can find NUH Dream on both Facebook and Twitter.